This is the John Oakley Show podcast. It's always a great day for talk radio when Conrad Black weighs in on the Friday edition of the Oakley Show, as he now has. Noted author, commentator, and historian. Conrad, how you doing? I'm fine, thanks, John. How are you? Very good, too. And, you know, I'm previewing your piece in the Post tomorrow and uh, just reading, No one in this country should underestimate the significance for Canada and the world of British Prime Minister Boris Johnson's ingenious measure for assuring the end of the crisis of immobilized government that has possessed the United Kingdom in the past three years. And I'm thinking, okay, Boris Johnson, he's got his, uh, he's sort of manipulated things, he's got the Queen on board, and uh, I guess Parliament may, may not have a chance to deter him from taking them out of uh, the European Union before uh, Halloween, but how is that going to impact Canada? What's the significance there? I think the real ultimate significance is at a strategic level, sort of geostrategic level. Removing Britain from the European Union and moving it closer to the North American trade area uh, is is a is a it's like a teeter totter. It's a shift. You see, it takes the world's fifth economy and the second in Europe uh, out of Europe and effectively. Uh, moves towards attachment of it to the North North American bloc, I and mean, we have the what the I guess the first economy in the world by far here with the United States, and about the tenth one with Canada, and and the Europeans have the what f- uh, fourth? No, uh, no, uh, yeah, fourth with Germany, fifth with Britain, sixth with France, and about the eighth with Italy. So you you, you take a big unit out of one block and attach it or start to attach it towards another block. It is a shift of power and influence between those two and a shift from the long-standing ideal of a united multicultural Europe working steadily towards a single state for all of Western Europe. And you take one unit, but a big unit, out of that and add it to a different concept here, which is an economic block of countries that are friendly with each other, but where there is no attempt at all to unify the government of all of them. And and uh, so it, it it is a shift, a sort of tectonic shift, if you will, in the great power relations of the world. Britain is an important country, not only because it's the fifth economy, but, you know, it, it is an, an immensely prestigious and well-known nationality everywhere in the world. And, and Europe's loss is our gain. But, you know, some of the critics have said, you all know this, that uh, there's been 75 years of relative peace and prosperity. Why would Boris Johnson want to upset the apple cart? Well, he isn't upsetting that apple cart. The 75 years they're speaking of has been uh, as long as the Cold War was on, which was the first uh, 45 of them, uh, was the presence of the armed forces of the United States in support of Western Europe and Canada. And that remains the case, but they're not under threat anymore. I mean, as things now stand, as long as it wasn't nuclear, the Germans and the French together would be more than a match for the Russians, with the Poles as well. And uh, and uh, so it's not a military question now. And the the apple cart they're speaking of is a Europe that that everyone endorses as a common market. But there has been a very, uh, let's say, fragile and temporary 
consensus in many of its member states about the idea of, in, in the words of the of the treaty document, an ever closer Europe. In other words, a politically integrated Europe where where the government of all of Europe would be conducted from Brussels, not not I mean Paris and Berlin and London and Rome, these ancient historic great cities would be like uh, you know Toronto and Quebec City and uh, you know, Victoria BC and Winnipeg in this country there'd be provincial governments and there is not a consensus for that there's a consensus among the the managers in Belgium and and the Netherlands for that because you know they've spent centuries and I don't want to take liberties as an unlicensed psychiatrist, but they spent centuries being somewhat condescended to, as I see it, by the great powers of Europe, and now they are the center of Europe because they are the middle of, between these countries. Well, that apple cart has not, has not had straight axles. I mean, it's there, but it's moving at a creaking rate, and there have been reversals to it in referendums in other countries in Europe. But the answer to the question is Boris has made it clear he'll accept a reasonable compromise if they want to make one. Uh, and, and they can make one. They, they don't, they're not shut down until the British Parliament comes back. The leadership of Europe can make the United Kingdom an offer. And if they come closer to, you know, to what, what the, you know, if, if they hit a, a point where the majority in Parliament, according to the government that still commands a majority in that Parliament, believes w- w- will support it, Johnson would be happy to take that deal. But we now know that Theresa May, the former prime minister, never even hinted that Britain would leave without a deal. And so the the, the European Union negotiators had no incentive whatever to make a serious offer. Well, yeah, no, Johnson's got their attention. He says, you know, Halloween or bust, and you believe he's going to do it. I believe he will do it. By the way, let me ask you, you know, still with this thing that uh, happened G7 in Biarritz, France uh, last week, uh, it's turned into the uh, aftermath of this has gotten interesting because you've got Bolsonaro from Brazil. Uh, he didn't want the $18 million or whatever dollars being offered by Macron in France. Then it got personal because uh, Macron felt that Bolsonaro had indirectly insulted his wife, and now uh, Macron's wife has responded in kind. I mean, what do you make of that whole that part is very unfortunate. They never should have, they never should have got into uh, uh, into comments in people's wives. I mean, uh, that's simply outrageous. And and uh, furthermore, as far as I can see, uh, um, Madame Macron is a perfectly exemplary woman. There's nothing to criticize in her. And and but it, even if there was, it wouldn't be for the president of Brazil to do it. So that that was just bad manners. On the uh, on the substantive issue. Uh, you know, Bolsonaro feels very sensitive about the world, claiming he's lost control of a forest fire, and uh, and and, the, and he thought it was a bit high-handed for the French to announce they were giving this money over his head to firefighters in his country, and uh, and I, I can sort of see his point. And Latin Americans traditionally are pretty sensitive about that kind of thing, and frankly, the French aren't absolutely the most subtle people about uh, communicating the message that they think they can do it better than. Than especially a Latin American country, but um, uh, the fact is, uh, we we should clean that up right away. I mean, somebody should 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 be a sort of halcyon and settle that down. I mean, Brazil and France should not be quarreling. Everyone can agree that this fire is a dangerous thing and should be. Yeah, but some of the. The argument is uh, from France and others that uh, this is all a result of climate change, that the Brazilian Amazon is aflame. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, there, I think that one will not fly. I don't think there's any truth to that. I mean, forest fires happen for other reasons than that. Uh, the, the also is this claim that he's deliberately burning it. But if so, it, he, 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 you know, it was not the right way to clear a bit of forest area. And, and they're certainly trying to put it out now. I think we can all agree that, that uh, uh, forest fire on this scale is a dangerous thing and, and, and could have an effect on climate eventually. But, but I, I mean, it, it simply got out of uh, all proportion on all fronts. And where you have presidents of great nations insulting each other's wives and so on, it's just absurd. With Conrad Black, author, commentator, historian, still with another situation that uh, may be a fire that a lot of people want to see extinguished, especially James Comey. The inspector general in the United States, Horowitz, came out with a report yesterday, and it was a condemnation of Comey's dealings with, uh, well, as the head of the FBI, uh, the subterfuge surrounding the Trump campaign as well as presidency once the guy was elected. uh, Does this lend credence to the belief that there were on our deep state operatives seeking to undermine Trump? Yes, I think so. And and I think the only reason the attorney general is not indicting him now is he's waiting for the further report by the inspector general on the on the FISA, uh, the, the, what Comey signed, the initial application for a warrant to conduct domestic intelligence surveillance of an American citizen uh, the, under the so-called foreign intelligence um, Surveillance Act, hence the initials FISA. Yeah, he got a warrant to basically spy on Trump's operatives. Yeah, well, yeah, they, they they selected a, a junior one, but what they were doing was intercepting the phone calls to the, you know, to, from the Trump campaign or to the Trump campaign and the Trump transition team once he won the election. That is completely illegal, and it was based on the Steele dossier, as we know, which was a pastiche of lies paid for by the Clinton campaign. I've said on this program and elsewhere for months, it is the greatest political scandal in American history, and it is going to blow up like like the like the atomic bombs, or, you know, a mushroom cloud over Washington. And and Comey is now claiming to have been exonerated just because uh, Barr did not. Barr said he wouldn't indict. If he's not indicting, I think, and this signal has been privately conveyed to the media in Washington because he's waiting for the Inspector General's second report on fees, and he's waiting for the special counsel, John Durham's report on the same matters. And when he has all that material, he'll decide what to do. But we know that Comey lied to federal officials, lied under oath to Congress, claimed not to remember 146 times things that that only happened a year or two before that were quite germane, uh, and he skated very close to the legal line in terms of what was classified. He claimed he didn't leak things, but he gave them to lawyers who gave them to the New York Times, and he said he wanted them in the public domain, but they technically didn't leak. Well, you know, for a former director of the FBI to find himself in that kind of a position is an absolute disgrace. I mean, people use the phrase Hooveresque in reference to J. Edgar Hoover, who was the director of the federal police in the United States for 47 years, and, and he never did anything remotely like this. I mean, the, that whole thing is coming down. Uh, Comey, Lynch, the Attorney General, Yates, the Assistant Attorney General, or Deputy Attorney General, uh, Brennan, the head of CIA, Clapper, the head of National Intelligence, McCabe, Comey's deputy, who's been recommended for prosecution already by the Inspector General, and probably Mrs. Clinton herself. Whoa. Uh, they're, they're all sitting ducked. 
you think this could be bigger than Watergate? Uh, Watergate was a farce. It was an absolute farce. It, it wasn't. A, it was a forced entry. No vandalism. Nothing stolen. The president knew nothing about it. It, 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 it was. It was nonsense that got out of hand. This is a major league scandal. This is the closest the United States has ever been to tanks on the White House lawn and the Marine Corps taking over the television stations. Whoa, Conrad, it's always great. Uh, I appreciate that. There's no hyperbole here, but... uh... (laughs) When I said the closest, I don't mean it was all that close, but (laughs) you do have a non-political military in the U.S., thanks to President Jefferson, who set up the West Point Academy. Well, you know, what you're talking about is basically uh, the trappings of a coup d'etat. That's it. It's like, it's it's sort of what used to happen fairly often in Latin America. Yeah. Uh, But but it's the intelligence agencies and the federal police, not the armed forces. But they can't behave like that. You've got to have civilian control of those people, too. We'll see where this one goes, and the media will have a role to play in whether or not there's more oxygen here or not. Conrad? Yeah, there's not blameless in it getting this far, either. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it, as always. Have a great long holiday weekend. So same to you, John, and all your listeners. Thank you. Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 